Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, before I get going here, uh, I invite you to uh, join me in wishing a happy birthday to the birthday boy behind me, Pastor Nick Gonzalez. Today, he is 29 years old today. That is just disgusting. Uh, but uh, we thank God for him, and uh, we wish you another great trip around the sun uh, with us here at St. Andrew. Uh, well, uh, for good or for ill, every time I read uh, this passage from uh, Luke chapter 11, I can't help but think of uh, my friend Dave, uh, who happens to be uh, a Lutheran pastor as well, and is quite the character. And I say that because uh, when you call uh, Dave's cell phone and you get his voice message, uh, his outgoing message sounds like this. You have asked and not received. You seek, but you do not find. You have knocked, and the door has not been opened to you. Leave a message. <laughs> Beep. And that, of course, is one of the most creative and irreverent uses of uh, Luke 11:10 that I've ever heard in my entire life. But it does get us into today's uh, gospel and the topic at hand. Uh, which is one of the key elements of any spiritual life. And that, of course, is the subject of prayer. As the disciples of Jesus witness him praying, as uh, happens numerous times throughout the Gospels, and they respond by asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. And today I want to talk about Jesus' response to that request and uh, also share some observations based on my own prayer life in ways that I hope will not only encourage yours uh, in terms of its blessedness, in terms of its discipline, or even if its techniques, uh, if uh, you want to coin that expression, but also uh, take a look at some of the theological insights or even uh, the questions that all of us sooner or later in one way or another ask about prayer, like, uh, if prayer really is so powerful, then you know, why don't all my prayers get answered the way I, I want? Why, why don't I always get what I pray for? And if God already knows uh, what I'm thinking, then you know, why, why do I even bother to pray? And, uh, and if God really takes my prayers seriously, then do, does that mean I can actually change God's mind about something? And, and if that's the case, then what does that say about God? What does that say about me? And of course, you know, there are all kinds of uh, books, thousands of them that have been written uh, about prayer in an effort to try to answer some of those questions. And many of them, quite frankly, get distilled into one very simple, clever statement that winds up on, you know, your refrigerator magnets or, you know, or a, a bookmark in your Bible, things like uh, prayer changes things, which I believe is absolutely true. Or God answers prayer, but sometimes the answer is no, which is also true. Or uh, how about this one? Uh, when uh, the request isn't right, uh, God says no. When the timing isn't right, God says slow. When my heart isn't right, God says grow. And when everything is right, God says go. Which also sounds pretty good. 
And I think there's some truth in that as well. Uh, but that really doesn't tell the whole story of prayer either, at least in my mind, because if God answering my prayers uh, depends upon uh, the purity of my heart or my motives or my timing, then I'm you know, pretty much up the creek when it uh, comes to my own prayer life. And so when Jesus responds to the disciples' request in uh, Luke 11, he doesn't uh, do it by writing a book. And he doesn't do it by answering a bunch of questions either. What he does is he gives them a model prayer known to us as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, after which he tells a story, after which he makes his uh, ultimate and uh, final point. Now with respect to the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus says not only that this is what you should say, and we often say that prayer in our life together, but he also suggests that this is the way we can pray. So that the Lord's Prayer isn't just something that we say, but it can also be something of a template for the other prayers that rise up, you know, from your heart. And what I mean by that is that uh, the prayer begins by uh, addressing the object of our prayer. It begins by acknowledging who God is to us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's who we're talking to. That's who God is to us. And then it takes whatever we're going to pray for, whatever we're going to ask for, and it entrusts it to God. It puts it in God's hands. It says to God, you know, this is up to you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which you may have noticed, by the way, that part uh, isn't in Luke, but it is in Matthew. And then having uh, addressed God and acknowledged who God is in our lives, having put, uh, you know, our prayer into his hands, then we get to ask for our stuff, you know, whatever that is uh, for yourself or for the people in your life or the, for the world that you live in. Give us this day our daily bread, which can represent all kinds of things that you and I might uh, ask for. And, and by the way, when I looked at that verse, it uh, turns out that the word for daily is, you know, a, a somewhat uh, complicated uh, Greek word uh, that commonly is translated daily. But if you look at it real carefully and, and just parse it, the more complicated, more detailed technical translation is something along the lines of super substantial. Give us this day our super substantial bread which suggests not just, you know, uh, an abundance of provision for God, but it also suggests something spiritual going on here, some, some kind of food that lifts us up above our circumstances. And, you know, uh, some theologians love that because of its uh, sacramental, its Eucharistic overtone. And so, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and so we get to get, ask God whatever we want, and then after that, it shifts back into, you know, the, the higher, loftier, more important subjects, the spiritual things that are part and parcel to our lives, uh, like forgiveness and deliverance from a temptation and, and from evil, because those are the hinges of our relationship with God and with each other as well. And with that, the Lord's Prayer comes to an end. Although you may be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, no, it doesn't. There's still more to it. What about, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, uh, amen. What about that? And by the way, why is it that our Roman Catholic and other Christian friends don't even say that part uh, when you go to mass? Why do they leave it out? And the answer to that question is that 
the ending is known as a doxology, which comes from a, uh, the word doxa, which means glory, so that a doxology is a statement that gives glory to God. Well, guess what? That doxology was never in the text of the Lord's Prayer as Jesus gave it, either in Luke or in Matthew. And it was actually added by early Christian communities as part of their worship. In fact, uh, the old Lutheran liturgy with which I grew up, and maybe some of you did too, included the pastor saying the Lord's Prayer by himself in the presence of the congregation, and then the congregation would respond by singing the doxology before communion. But I digress. The point is uh, that uh, the Lord's Prayer, like Luther's morning prayer, like the prayers that you were taught to say at mealtime or at bedtime, are good prayers to say because they link us to the hearts and to the souls and the prayers of people of many different times and places, and that's just a really beautiful thing. But they're also models and examples for the prayers that can rise up from our hearts to God. And so with that, Jesus then tells this story as part of his teaching about this guy who goes to uh, the home of his neighbor late at night asking for some bread to serve an arriving uh, guest, which may seem like kind of a weird story to uh, you and me, but it wasn't to them. Why? Because back in those days, they really didn't have what you and I would refer to as leftovers that they could store in things called refrigerators. And so the practice was to prepare and to consume only enough food for that one day. Which helps you to understand that phrase, give us this day, our daily bread. I mean, one day at a time. They also understood that uh, when a guest came to your home, practicing hospitality wasn't just, you know, some kind of a a social nicety that it is for you and me uh, today. It was way more than that. It, it, It was, you know, a sacred responsibility. It was literally a duty to God. So that when the guy in the story goes to the home of his neighbor at midnight seeking bread, you know, there's some urgency. There's, there's some spiritual uh, desire and yearning in that, just like there, there's desire sometimes and urgency in the prayers that you and I lift up to God. It's like when our kids were little, and they would come to me and they'd ask for something. And to be honest with you, you know, half the time I would just kind of wait you know, to see if they were really serious, you know, if, if, if this was just kind of a passing or impulsive thing. And then they'd ask again, and they'd ask again, and, you know, just like I would bug my parents when I was a kid, and I would ask for things and learn that, you know, sometimes uh, the answer was no, and sometimes the answer was slow, and sometimes the answer was grow, until the answer was go, because they knew something about me that I didn't even know about myself. They knew something that was better for me, even though I didn't always like it. But the point of it is, uh, once again, I digress that You know, this man goes to his neighbor's house, and even though his door is locked, even though he's already in bed, it's the persistence of the neighbor that gets his attention. 
And so when they ask again and again, that's when they get our attention. And with that story, then Jesus gets to his ultimate point and his call to prayer. When he says to his disciples, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door of God's heart and it will be opened to you. And then in the very last verse, he tells us how he will answer. He tells us what we will receive and what we will find when we knock on the door of God's heart. And it's not the things that you might put on your list, but what it is, is the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. The power of God's presence, the power of his comfort, the power of his direction, his word, his life for you. It is the super substantial love, grace, and presence of God that may or may not be accompanied by the things that we prayed for specifically for reasons that we may or may not ever understand. And so with that little rundown of Luke chapter 11, you know, uh, let me just share a few observations and thoughts that come from my own uh, study and experience, my own prayer life. The first of which is that prayer is not just an exercise in trying to engineer the action of God, which we so often treat it that way. And it is nothing more. Prayer is not like belonging to AAA. You know, or even being part of a church, for that matter, where, you know, you make the call when there's a problem, and that's pretty much it. Prayer is part of our relationship with God. It's our communication with God. I mean, if you want to have a relationship with somebody, then you obviously want to talk to that person. You want to keep the communication going. And when, when the communication falls apart, well, that's when the relationship falls apart, or at least it begins to uh, deteriorate. And so while prayer is absolutely my chance and opportunity to go to God with the desires of my heart, with what I want for myself, for the people around me, for the world that I uh, live in, it's also a way just to keep my relationship with God going. Or, as uh, a 17th century monk known as Brother Lawrence put it, it's a way to practice the presence of God in your life. If you ever saw the musical Fiddler on the Roof, uh, then you know uh, that its main character, Tevye the Milkman, he's just praying all the time. He's talking to God. His words are not very lofty or they're formal, but, but he speaks to God as if he really knows God. You know, as if he has a relationship with God. It happened to me more than 20 years ago, but still to this day, I think of the night that uh, our daughter Lauren was saying her bedtime prayers after she had been in a ballet recital earlier that day. She was like just maybe four or five years old at the time. And I'll never forget how she said, you know, dear Jesus, thank you for this wonderful day. And thank you for dancing with me today. Now, you know, that's a kid who knows how to practice presence of God. You know, that, that's a kid who knows how to pray. Well, uh, the second observation I have is that prayer is not simply a ritual that demands the folding of your hands and the closing of your eyes. I mean, you don't have to kneel down. You don't have to bow down. You certainly can 
uh, do that, and uh, I have done all of those things many, many times. But prayer is something that you can also do while you're walking, while you're running, while you're driving, while you're working, while you're going to school. People say, oh, there's no more prayer in school. I say, look, you know, as long as there are tests in schools, there's going to be prayer in school. I guarantee that. <laughs> Absolutely. But there was a, a guy who once referred to his car as a monastic cell because that's where he did his praying while he was driving, while he was stuck in traffic. And I hope his eyes were wide open. Uh, the other week I was you know, sitting at the gate in Detroit at the uh, airport waiting to fly home. And right across from me, we're like facing each other uh, at, at the gate was this guy who was obviously on a business trip and the announcements came over that the flight was going to be delayed again, and so he got on his phone, he called home, and uh, he talks to his children, and I, I hear this. And he speaks to his one daughter, and at the end of the conversation, he says to her, you know, okay, Maddie, you know, you're the best Maddie in the world. And then he talks to his other daughter, and at the end of the conversation, he says, okay, Emily, you're the best Emily in the world. He says, put mommy on, and he talks to his wife. And at the end of the conversation, he says to her, you know, you're the best mom in the world. And he hung up the phone, and, you know, I was just kind of so taken by that that I gave him a thumbs up, and I said, hey, well done, you know, and he, like that. And then I just prayed for this guy, this husband, this father, this, this family, silently. All of which is to say is that, you know, while the ritual of prayer can be beautiful, valuable, important to us, because we need to say our father together. It's not my father, it's our father together. It's also true that you can pray through the day and you can pray on the way and see what that's like for you and for your relationship with God. And I have to confess to you, you know, that's you know, a significant majority of my own prayer life. Prayer is also a chance to be honest to God about what hurts, uh, about what's bugging you, uh, about what you're worried about, what you're angry about, what you're ashamed uh, about. It's, it's a chance to be as honest as honesty ever gets because he has invited you into that kind of a relationship. And so, you know, those of you who are going to join me for an evening with the Psalms this week, you know, are going to get to see that literally in the pages of Scripture where, trust me, there, there's a lot of complaining and a lot of questioning, a lot of dissatisfaction going on, and you will hear the question, you know, why, how long, when, over and over and over again. All of which just tells you that the relationship those psalm writers had with God was very real, and it was very intimate. I heard about a, a woman not long ago I heard not long ago about a woman whose husband was in the hospital for uh, several days, making some progress, doing better, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he suddenly died one afternoon. When she left the hospital, there was a statue of the Virgin Mary in front of the hospital, which is obviously a Catholic hospital. And apparently she was so distraught that she started throwing clumps of dirt at the statue of the Virgin Mary. And it was a thing, and they called security. But when the chaplain arrived, he said, let her alone. She's praying. 
Now, you know, in our tradition, we don't pray to the Virgin Mary, but you get the idea that whatever your loss is, whatever your heartache is, whatever you, whatever's bugging you, hurting you, God can absolutely take it. And there are a lot of other things, you know, thoughts that I have uh, about prayer, but the, the last one I'll share with you is this. In terms of my own prayer life, I can report to you uh, that my prayers sometimes change my circumstances, and then sometimes they do not change my circumstances. Uh, for reasons that I sometimes figure out, you know, down the road. And then for other reasons that I don't think I'm ever going to know on this side of glory. But what I can say to you is the prayer always changes me. It changes me uh, because it helps me to communicate with God. Whatever's going on, it helps me to, uh, to keep the relationship going and uh, alive. It helps me uh, to experience the super substantial presence of, of God in my life. It, it changes me when I can talk to God about a relationship or a circumstances that I'm, I'm really struggling with or a loss or a change that is unwelcome to me. It changes uh, me when I'm praying about a future that, that's not certain to me or it's scary to me. And it changes me when I follow the formula and the technique of St. Benedict. And I begin and I end the day with gratitude, with thanksgiving to God, no matter how that day went. Because there's always something to celebrate always something to be happy about, always something to rejoice in and to be thankful for. And because God deserves my doxology at the end of the day. And it changes me when somebody in my life tells me that I am also in their prayers. And it sinks in that another human being in this world is talking to Almighty God about me. You know, kind of like when Pastor Nick and I uh, pray together before worship on Sunday morning. And, you know, and the, the guy who's not preaching is the one who prays for the guy who is preaching, by the way. And, and then we pray for all of you. You know, that God would uh, be in you, that your relationship with God would be active and, and alive and, and secure and that you would know the, the joy of God in your life and that your prayers would be vibrant to you, a sign of uh, your relationship with him. Whether you join your prayers formally to those of other people from other times and other places, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing, or they just rise up from your heart as you ask and you seek and you knock on the door of God's heart and he opens the door and he hears your call and he talks back in his word, in this worship, in the sacraments, in the fellowship that we enjoy as sisters and brothers in Christ so that we may know that every day, come what may, we have the super substantial grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that, I believe, is the lesson that Jesus has for you and me from Luke chapter 
11. And I wish those blessings upon every one of you because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.